Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Gen Z GOP podcast. I'm Mike Brodo, Executive Director and Head of Policy here at Gen Z GOP, and I'm joined today by John Olds and Ryan Doucette, great colleagues here at the organization, and we look forward to having a great conversation today, just introducing ourselves and discussing our vision for this organization party and how our generation can reframe the GOP. Thank you so much for tuning in. We know that we had a great launch last night on Twitter uh, and the op-ed before that. And we thank you for your support and listening to this podcast. And we hope we sh you share it with your friends and enjoy it. So first, let's start by introducing ourselves. I will introduce myself. As I said, I'm the executive director and head of policy here at Gen Z GOP and also a co-host on the podcast. So I am from Massachusetts, as we all are as of now. I attend the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University, where I will be a junior this upcoming fall. I study African politics and development, so a little different than maybe some of the bulk of the issues we will discuss here, uh, but I can get into that at another time. I think my interest in that and my drive for that is similar to why I'm focusing on discourse. So to introduce why I'm even in politics and have been since a very young age, I'd like to start with a simple anecdote. My first political memory is from when I was four years old in preschool. And I just don't remember much, but just a little clip in my brain is myself going up to a fellow classmate and saying, are your parents voting for Bush or Kerry? Because my parents like Bush. They say that Bush loves America. And that was my first introduction. I didn't know what the parties meant. I knew that Bush was president and everything with post 9-11. I didn't remember 9-11. I was not even two years old yet. But that framed my view of politics. At that time, we were still a rather unified country. I think the Iraq war was dividing us a little bit. But compared to now, we were much more unified. And politics was seen as a good. It was seen as a way to help your country and help others. And that passion and those values instilled by my parents made me very interested. So over those years, I remember following the presidential elections, 2008, 2012, being interested, trying to learn about the issues. It took some time, took a while to learn about policy, but we got there. By the time I was about 12 and 13, I wanted to go to the field offices in Massachusetts and pick up some yard signs. I just thought it was a really cool way. And I was immediately met with this enigma and this energy from those field offices and I just wanted, I knew I wanted to be a part of it at someday, not at 13. I don't think I was ready for the doors slamming in my face, as many of us who have knocked doors can preach to. And in 2014, Charlie Baker ran for governor in Massachusetts, and I looked at him and his platform and how he embraced politics, and I knew that was something that I could be interested in. He really was a, a change for good, not just in being a moderate on his policies, as I am myself, but putting people first. But I still didn't know if I was ready to get involved. So in 2016, there was a presidential election, and I said, okay, I want to go help out with Marco Rubio's campaign. It seems that his values and his policies line up with mine, and I also saw him as a, as a leader and someone that I could be inspired by listening to him speak. But what I was met with was a difficulty being able to get involved. As a young person, I thought it would be quite easy. They love having young people. So I was sitting in my li high school library um, and I remember emailing, getting emailed through eight different people. Oh, email this person. No, then they tell me to email that person. Eventually I got in contact with someone up in New Hampshire 
and I got my first experience knocking doors and doing phone calls. Uh, then he lost the primary later on, and everyone knows the story from then on. I was a little bit involved in New Hampshire for the general, helping out Governor Sununu and some congressional candidates, and that was that. I stuck with the party because I was very new to it, and uh, that was something I still viewed as closer to my values and policy views than the Democratic Party. When I was 17, I became the chairman of the Massachusetts Teenage Republicans after having been involved for a few years. And my primary focus there was being able to provide that connection to get young people involved. We shouldn't have young people wanting to be involved and not being able to do so. So we reached out to people to get them involved and also help people that wanted to, young people, to be able to knock doors, help candidates and meet the candidates and explain their uh, views on the issues and what mattered to them. So I did that for that year um, with the, some of the special elections, uh, since there wasn't a big election year in the time I was there. And my other focus was on discourse and civic policy. So my biggest accomplishment there was in 2018. Uh, I worked with the high school Democrats to help pass a civics education bill in Massachusetts. And that meant a lot to me because I've seen over time more and more today how damaging and uncivil our discourse is in America. And that's going to have lasting impacts not only on how we treat each other, but our policy too. And it's going to bite us uh, later than it is now. So we did that. Hopefully we can address it at a young age and have people go into things informed and know what's right and wrong and what's true and what's not true so that we can have a basic set of facts before we start debating policy. I then got involved on the John Kingston for U.S. Senate campaign in 2018. I very much appreciated his approach to issues, really valuing people and approaching politics for what it's for, which is to help others and uh, protect their interests and their rights. So as a means of, by means of that campaign, I met Ryan Doucette and Sam Garber, who helps us out on this organization. And I really saw that politics could also be a place to, to make lifelong friends because these are friends we can talk about issues that we both care about. We have very similar passions, but we don't agree on everything. And that will become very clear uh, over time when maybe Ryan and I can dish it out. And somehow did not meet John from the same state. Also go to the school in D.C. now. But hey, here it is. That's the silver lining. So I went off to Georgetown in 2018. As I said, I studied there. And I kind of abandoned national politics, except for the policy side, foreign policy, the bureaucracy, government side of things. And the reason is because I saw very poor discourse on the college campus as well. And I went into college knowing it was going to be dominated by the political left, but I did not find a home on the right. The majority, I don't know if I want to say majority, but at least as an organization of the college Republicans at Georgetown where they were focused more on instigating with the left and trying to, quote, own the libs and not offering productive discourse and discussion on policy, really just posting memes from Turning Point and really embracing Trump as a counter. And so I didn't want to do that. So in college, I decided for the first bit, and I still do now, I really wanted to have a policy focus. When I was in high school, I tried to be a leader and get people involved, but I still didn't know that much. So I wanted to just spend as much time reading, learning, going to class, meeting with professors, doing internships, and getting as much experience as I could. And what that showed me was I learned a lot. It was great. It was a little bit more negative on the political side. I was very hopeful as a kid, and I still am to an extent, but I really saw the breakdown of discourse, and not just because people weren't educated, but that it was directly facilitated 
by certain people with political agendas who were willing to push uh, insensitive rhetoric just to win elections uh, without having any regard for what the impacts were going to be on immigrants and other people's just mindsets and embracing facts. I think there's a complete disregard for facts, and that's a big part of our mission here at Gen Z GOP. So I entered last fall in Senator Rubio's office. It was a great experience. I loved every second there. The staff was fantastic, and there's a lot more bipartisanship on the Hill and among staffers than people would think about when they see the news. And it, that, that was a little bit reassuring. But what was not reassuring was that when I listened to some of the constituent calls from both sides, I saw some or heard, I guess, some disgusting rhetoric. It was very vile. It was name calling and just complete disregard for nuance. And that that hurt because I, I didn't know what to do. I, there, I felt that there was something inside me eating me up and saying, why can't people just get it? And I don't mean get it by why can't you agree with me because I know all that's far from the truth. It's why can't you just get that we need to come to debates with facts and present policies for what they are instead of slamming people and claiming that what they're saying is full of lies. And when you see an opposing viewpoint, just saying that, oh, that's a progressive outlet or that's right wing propaganda, that's not helpful. And I'm not saying there are not some right wing and left wing propaganda sites, but the majority of good content out there is not skewed that way. So to bring this full circle, why are we doing this? What is my personal passion for this project? It really has built up over time in my experience in politics, seeing number one, what discourse, bad discourse is doing to this country, two, how the Republican Party, the party that we've all called home as we've grown up. I oppose some of the policies of this administration for what they are, but what really matters more is how they go about implementing them and how their rhetoric is hurting American society. So the silver lining of COVID here is that I am home for this summer and I went to the other three, two of whom are co-hosts on this podcast and said, hey, let's make a podcast. That's a great way to provide an example of how to talk about issues with policy, with good articles, not just cable news, and how to be respectful. Even though we're on the same side of the spectrum, we're not going to agree. And I couldn't have done this without them. And now it's blossomed into something even greater, an organization, because I think we saw that there was an opportunity for us to launch this mission. So I've been driven by the lack of discourse and what Trumpism has been complicit in that. And on that note, I'll turn it over to one of my co-hosts, John Olds. Well, thank you, Mike, for that introduction. I think you um, not only chronicled your your own personal experience and your kind of ups and downs with the Republican Party uh, and the center-right movement, but you really gave a lot of context to our motivation here, and I think that that's really important. Uh, my name's John Olds. I'm from... Merrimack, Massachusetts. Mike mentioned that it's kind of shocking that we didn't uh, cross paths earlier, which is funny because he went to Zavarian Brothers High School and I went to his rival high school and I go to George Washington University and he goes to Georgetown. So it's not shocking that someone that goes to uh, less superior schools uh, didn't didn't cross my path. Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm a senior, like I said, uh, uh, studying at George Washington University. Um, studying economics and political science. And my political story begins with a placemat at my kitchen table. Uh, it was actually in kindergarten when, so I used to go to kindergarten in the afternoon. In the morning, you know, I would have my lunch and then I would go off to school. And I would sit at the kitchen table with this placemat with all the presidents on it. And I would 
you know, read the names and when they served and what party they were in. And I learned them all. I memorized them all. And that turned into me going to the local library and finding books on all the presidents and kind of skimming them and reading them. And I, you know, I was young, so I didn't always understand everything in there, but it kind of, you know, it made me catch the political bug. And once you get it, uh, there's no cure, that's for sure. So uh, from there, I remember, you know, asking questions because my mother had been somewhat involved in local politics growing up. And uh, my grandfather, who's a Marine, he actually just passed away. Um, he, he was also fairly politically active um, on the local scene. And I remember in 2008, he showed me, um, I want to say it was John McCain's convention speech. I was like nine or 10 years old. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, this is what I believe. This is, this is the guy, this is the independent voice um, that represents what I want from my government. And then from there, you know, I continued to follow politics. And over time, um, I became a little bit concerned with what I was seeing in the Republican Party. Um, uh, much to Mike's point, uh, the discourse, the gaslighting, the uh, inability to share a common set of facts, um, those were among my biggest concerns. Uh, but nonetheless, I knew that I wasn't a Democrat. I knew that I wasn't a liberal or a socialist or anything, and that the Republican Party uh, would just have to extend its tent uh, to keep me under it. And and that's the motivation behind this project, uh, to, to make sure that people that care about so many of the issues that uh, face young people and that are important to young people um, are represented in the GOP. Um, I've worked for a number of campaigns. I've worked for uh, Governor Charlie Baker uh, here in Massachusetts, uh, our lone Republican statewide officer. And um, he's become the, the most popular governor in the nation, bringing common sense, competent Republican leadership to the state. And I think that that's super important. More recently, because of uh, the election of President Trump, my involvement with Republican politics has kind of, you know, taken a step back, uh, at least in a formal sense. Going to GW, I had, a, I had access to a, a number of political internship opportunities and, uh, you know, quasi-political internships. So I've worked in the commercial real estate field. I've worked in tech. Um, and yeah, I just... I just think that this project is important because we cannot squander the party that's meant so much to us, to populism, authoritarianism, gaslighting. And not only is it the right thing to do to stand up for some of the things that we're going to be talking about in this podcast, but there's an electoral side to it too. And um, if we risk, uh, we risk the Republican Party and the center-right movement becoming obsolete if we don't really uh, get a bit of a course correction here. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ryan, uh, my good friend, uh, who will introduce himself and we'll uh, keep it rolling here. Thanks, John, for that in introduction. Um, so I just want to briefly uh, wrap up my political experience. Um, like John, um, I was very much introduced to politics from my grandfather. He was a four-term mayor of his uh, town in New Jersey. So as a young kid, uh, spending my summers with him, he would introduce me to all his political friends and all the different things he used to do as mayor. He has not been mayor since the 90s, um, but even still, he had those connections. 
So he always taught me that politics was about, you know, helping um, the person put down in his community or the person who needs the most help. So I always viewed it as a means of change and something to help people. Um, I was always about helping people. And I think that all always started from my introduction to politics. So as I got older, I started noticing more and more things that I disagreed with or things that I agreed with. Obviously, these were never real uh, policy solutions or much um, to contribute to my politics, but just these early recollections of starting to notice um, things going in our country, um, like distinctly the election of Barack Obama, which my family was all very split about, um, seemed that everyone had an opinion. And I kind of observed and observed. And finally, in the 2016 primary, I was like, I got to get involved. So taking what I learned from my grandfather's, uh, his teachings of politics being a means of change, I got involved on John Kasich's presidential campaign. I felt that, you know, his policies and his whole idea of empowering Americans to live their best life was exactly what I learned as a child. Um, obviously, we know how that primary ended. Um, and he was not the nominee. Um, so I got involved in more local politics. Um, then I was living in Virginia, in Fairfax County, got involved in a couple ballot measures. Uh, that was a great experience, realizing how important local politics w were. And I became a really active volunteer for various candidates around Virginia. Uh, so leading into 2017 was probably one of the most famous Virginia gubernatorial elections, probably of all time, uh, with Ed Gillespie facing Ralph Northam. Um, I worked for Gillespie, I interned on his campaign, and I simultaneously served um, in the field program on a local delegate campaign. And for those of you who had not paid attention to that race, which was nationally televised, it got very um, disturbing to the sense of how uh, people were gaslighting issues and how it became so contentious over something that really shouldn't be. So I started to take a step back. But I never lost my interest. I actually moved up in the party. I became a precinct captain and really was pushing candidates to be the best person that they can be and really represent the interest of their community um, and also push the party uh, to do the same. But as I did that, I realized that I was like the only kid around most of these events. So I started getting active in the side of encouraging my fellow students in school and other friends at other schools to get involved in politics. Um, and I worked with various people in this party, in the county party, in the local parties, um, to push for more uh, youth advocacy in the Republican Party, which obviously the Democrat Party has done a lot better. So in the summer of 2018, um, I had moved to Massachusetts and I was looking for new opportunities as I did not know anyone. Um, so Mike Brodo, uh, Facebook DM'd me and was like, hey, you should come work on the Kingston campaign. So without much knowledge of the campaign or anything else about Massachusetts, I said, why not? Um, so I became an intern and fellow on that campaign. Um, great introduction to Massachusetts politics. Um, and after the primary with his loss, I went over to become an intern and fellow on Charlie Baker's gubernatorial uh, campaign, similar to John um, and Brodo's experience. And I felt that same connection to Kasich and my grandfather, candidate like Charlie Baker, who really pushed for common sense solutions and represented uh, the best of politics. So since then, I got involved with Massachusetts teenage Republicans, serving two terms as their political director, helping to expand their influence in the state, and I'm currently serving as chair of the Massachusetts teenage Republicans. Um, over the past year, 
working with um, Sam Garber, who's also part of this organization, we reached out to National Teenage Republican leaders across the country to really build a more robust system and organization. So that was one of our proud accomplishments on Teenage Republicans. Um, and I'm currently uh, serving in various capacities on a local state rep campaign. Um, and I really hope uh, through um, Gen Z GOP, we're able to push a message of more unity and the good things about politics rather than the bad. Um, and with that, I will turn it back over to Mike Brodo. Yeah, great introduction by John and Ryan. I think our views and mission behind this line up pretty well. And clearly we're going to have some disagreements, but we really saw in each other the ability to do this because of each other. And what, what I mean there is that it's not popular to, number one, criticize the president, which is not our main mission. That's just a precondition. But it's not popular to criticize the president. Number two, it's not popular to offer up ideas currently in the party that do not fully line up with the Trumpism brand. And I think we all believed that. But when we started to open up more and more to each other, we thought, okay, we can do this. We have each other's backs. We can provide a message that is palatable for why the Republican Party can be saved. So as far as this organization goes, of which this podcast is a branch, our main goal is to reshape the GOP. And that does not just mean to go back to the past of it before Trump. That would be a misguided way to go about things, especially being Gen Z Republicans, but something completely new. There may be things from the past that are better than now. That's certainly true. But we need to focus, for example, on climate change, uh, racial issues and the like, things that the Republican Party over its past modern history has not been great about addressing. So as we like to put it, our mission is to provide a palatable alternative to the political left because the current GOP is failing to provide that, especially among Gen Z voters who are disaffected for the most part by this administration. As a result, we do oppose the president's reelection because as a result of his being in office, this ideology surrounding his persona has created an environment in the party that does not allow dissenting opinions. So if Trumpism is to continue, there's no space for us to provide our input and say, this is where we want the party to go. A defeat of Trump and Trumpism, the ideology, it will still linger on, will provide that opportunity, that vacuum for us to sit down and say, we just got killed in an election because this is not palatable to the people. It's also wrong for the country. What can we do to fix it? How can we look to young people especially who are a growing share of the electorate to um, put forward their ideas. And um, just, to, just to go off of that, um, this project is not limited to focusing on the election. Uh, there have been a number of, uh, whether it's Twitter accounts or organizations or 501c4s, whatever it is, that have formed to kind of provide moderate Republicans or disaffected Republicans uh, a platform to not only oppose the president, uh, but support Joe Biden. And that's not, though, as Mike said, the defeat of Trumpism is a, a necessary precondition to getting our mission off the ground. Um, it's not the whole thing. In fact, it's only part one of a much longer 
more complicated mission to rebuild the Republican Party and get it ready for the modern political landscape that it needs to compete in. And um, and this project that I'm uh, a part of this project that I'm really excited about is being able to feature a number of guests and diverse voices uh, from all different policy arenas, all different backgrounds to discuss how uh, Republicanism, conservatism, center-right politics has um, left them politically homeless. And we also want to prove the point that we're not the only ones out here with this, you know, we're not some, the three rhinos from Massachusetts, right? We're more than just that. We are uh, here to build a, a sustainable Republican Party for the future. And I know, um, and we will surely feature a number of people who not only agree with that, but um, see it as an integral part of their own personal mission. Yeah, John, to hop on to that point, I think an important thing to look at is how can we get our message to Gen Z Republicans? Is this message something that they're interested in? And some of the data shows yes and no, but I think if we dive into it, I think we have a great opportunity. So the polling among Gen Z Republicans um, for their support of Trump is actually very far from strong. So according to a poll, it says 65% of Gen Z Republicans respond agree to President Trump represents who I am as a Republican. And that's from Washington College, Sarah T. Hughes Field Politics Center at Goucher College, Ignite, and the Center for Democracy and Civic Engagement at UMD. There are a lot of funding sources there. But what I'm getting to is that 65% of Gen Z Republicans believe that their politics line up with the current sitting president that represents the party, that at face value is a very low number for people in the party. Further, we believe that that number is actually artificially inflated. And here's why. As I was talking about in my introduction, when you're presented with a college campus dominated by the political left and sometimes more radical left than the majority of the country, you and you are a conservative or someone right of center, as I would describe myself, you're going to respond to that because that's going to get under your skin and you need something to latch onto and say, oh, this is what I am. And right now, the this is what I am for not being a liberal is I'm a Trump supporter. That's the this is what I am. The Charlie Kirks of the world and all of that. It's about being against something, maybe more than for something. And I'm not saying everyone that supports him at our age is not for his policies. There's certainly people like that. But I think there is a significant group of college-age Gen Z Republicans who say they support the president, but it's only because they do not support the left. And I think what we're going to tap into is show that these are not bipolar choices. If you don't conform to that, you need something to latch onto and say, okay, this is what I am because I do not, not I don't, because I don't want to be the left. And right now, dominant ideology on the right is Trumpism and MAGA doctrine, as Charlie Kirk likes to put it. And being people like him that just instigate and post memes, that's what you have to be, is what society thinks if you're not on the left in college. And I'm not saying the left doesn't instigate too. Of course they do. But the right should not be responding back with that. What we're trying to do here and why we think we have a great opportunity is because there are a lot of Gen Z Republicans who say they are Trump supporters. But that's only because they needed something to latch on to to oppose the left. 
at Gen Z GOP, if we can offer a palatable alternative and say, you have more than two options here. You don't have to be a socialist or a Trumper. We can pursue common sense solutions that embrace the private sector and markets and the like, and we'll dive into policy and other podcast episodes. If we can offer that and be appealing, I think we can grow the party among young people, number one, and we can show that Trump's support is inflated. And the other way to do that is that by starting to talk about it, as we said before, like how we got to do this in the first place, by starting to eat up in that, since Trumpism and its support is based on fear, especially among the party, fear of speaking out against it. If we can tap into that and offer facts and solutions, I think we can do a great job. Mike's right. That that number, that 65% number, um, there's no way that that is as high as it is. And uh, to your point about just getting something to latch on to because we're not the other guys, uh, I think that's that's really important to consider. Um, and I also just want to point out that, and, and I neglected to mention this in the beginning, but I was actually the chairman of the GW uh chapter of College Republicans, which is one of the largest chapters in the country. We have hundreds of members. And of those, um, let's let's call it 300 or so members, the number of hardcore Trump supporters, like truly believe in the uh, populist message, the sort of Tucker Carlsonism that uh, undergirds the Trump movement, um, I would say that maybe 50 at most were along those lines, and I think that might be generous. That's well under a third of our contingent there at GW. So again, anecdotal, but um, I'll juxtapose that with our chapter of College Republicans hosted two events just um, in February, just before the world went went crazy. Uh, One was on LGBT policy, where we featured uh, members of the LGBT community that were conservatives. And then we also held one on the environment and conservative environmental policy. And both events were fairly well attended and extremely well received. And I think it's indicative of young people really wanting more because Republicans and conservatives for the longest time were, we knew what we were against. We knew that we weren't, um, you know, crazy big government uh, people that, um, for better or for worse, may have a bit of a victimhood complex. We, they, but they wanted to know what we were for. They wanted to know what what we stood for and how we were going to actually solve the problems of the day, not just say uh, these guys are bad. Exactly, John. I think that anecdote is on point about what we're talking about, and I think it's important for us to recognize that. Our organization doesn't seek to say that we know the best policy, we know the best idea. It's, you know, we would be lying to you and be disingenuous if we said we knew everything. And obviously we don't. We're, you know, three, four guys um, who think we know some stuff and we hope to share that platform with people who may know better than us and to kind of formulate a policy and that idea of what conservatism and moderation in politics should be. Um, and so as we move forward, uh, this podcast will serve as a platform and our organization will serve as a platform for these policies that will lead us into the future to actually address the issues that our generation face, which is, you know, a huge contrast to today's GOP, which 
by and large has ignored climate change as an issue. Um, luckily, we're slowly moving towards the right direction, but we really need that push. And we need that push to, you know, modernize some of our views in the sense of where we can keep pushing for our principles, um, but actually have formidable policies that can get us to the end point. And the, uh, the elephant, um, no pun intended, in the room is that this project at its launch is led by four white dudes. And that's something that we're aware of. Um, and I think that going forward, we can commit to ensuring that not only does our podcast feature a diverse set of voices, whether it's race, gender, sexual orientation, um, that we actually talk about the issues that matter to different groups in society that have been discriminated against, that have uh, felt like they've been left behind or left out. And, um, and I feel like we can do that in a genuine sense, right? We're not going to be diverse just for the sake of diversity, but we're going to be diverse. We're going to be uh, talking about a, a more broad set of issues because it's the right thing to do. And, um, and it's something that a lot of uh, Gen Zers and, and young people and people in our generation really feel like it's something that's lacking from the current iteration of the Republican Party. Absolutely. And to dive into the polling real quick to sum up our mission, our goals, and why we think this is possible, I'll cite a few facts from the study I mentioned earlier and also some from Pew Research. So the study from earlier from that laundry list of funding sources of universities and centers is that Republicans have clearly had an inability to address the most pressing concerns of young Americans, such as climate change, racial, gender inequality. And those are also issues that which Gen Z Republicans very much disagree with older Republicans on. They embrace climate change as real, more so than older Republicans. They embrace racial inequity in this country as real, more than older Republicans. So while inherently... We are doing this because we believe this is what's best for the country. You know, fixing the discourse, promoting policies that do not rely on hate and division. And thirdly, because we believe that the country relies on a good two-party system, of which one is moving further left, so that us on the right, we need to provide a, conduct, a productive counterbalance. So inherently, by fixing the Republican Party, that's good for the country. But to Republicans and people in power, I'd say, obviously, our audience here is more younger people. But what I would say to them, if they want to look short term electorally and not at the country, which is unfortunate, but it's still a point of argument, is that if they continue down this path, Gen Z voters will increasingly not vote for them. That is plain and simple. If they do not address problems that affect Gen Z people, Gen Z voters, what is the reason to vote for them? And that's unfortunate to us because we believe that while the left may address climate issues and racial issues, maybe they're not always offering the best points. And we're not going to get into the details here now for this episode, but just the fact that only one side is offering up solutions is inherently wrong. This country relies on people coming to the table, providing different solutions and debating the merits of them. If we only have one party talking about what matters, what's the point of having the other party? So the Republican Party needs to really embrace these issues as fact, stop debating what the facts are, and provide productive counterbalances and counter policies to the left. So one interesting stat on this part from Pew Research is that 
52% of Gen Z Republicans believe that the government should do more to help solve problems in the country. How I think we would do this, I'm not speaking for the group here, but for myself, I think that's a fair point. I am still center right, and I believe that the markets can do a lot of things very effectively, but not everything. I believe the government sometimes needs to step in and do so. For example, COVID-19 is very much impacting young people in their education right now. And in an ideal world, I would hope that people voluntarily wear masks when they're in public because that's the best way to do it. They should be educated on this and they should not having be having to rely on mandates. But we know that's not reality. Maybe the government has to mandate this for public safety. They're not mandating this for your own safety. Let's be clear on that. It's the same thing with seatbelt laws. The seatbelt's not for yourself. It's so that you don't hurt or kill someone else. So at times when people fail to live up to this, of which I think a big reason people are not voluntarily doing this is because of the lack of good information and discourse out there. So that's an underlying issue. We need that government to step in and do some things. So I think that's a caveat, but that does not mean we're not principled people here. We still believe in limited government to the extent of let us not trample on our citizens' rights. But it also doesn't mean that we can't use the government as it should to help protect citizens' rights and what is best for them, not in a paternalistic way, but what is best for them by promoting policies that will help uh, the public interest. And that's exactly right, Mike. Um, you know, wearing a mask is, is certainly not uh, fun. It's, it's not my favorite thing to do. But um, at the end of the day, um, if we want to maximize liberty and, and the rights of others, the rights for us to go out to eat and to, you know, engage in society like we did up until March of 2020, um, it's a very small step that we should all take and embrace. So this has been the first episode of Gen Z GOP. We've discussed our backgrounds. We've discussed the motivation behind this project and where we hope it goes. And your input, our audience's input, and hearing from you guys and sharing your own experiences will be an incredibly important part of this mission. And if you feel this way, if you feel like your party's left you, this is your cause and this is your movement. And we won't lose sight of that. And we will get to a point where we can all proudly say that this is my party. And like John mentioned, if you feel like this represents you, I highly encourage that you check out our website, genzgop.org. Uh, this website will include various information about our vision moving forward, as well as an ability to join the movement. Um, and so joining the movement can help you get involved in your local politics as well as national politics to push the GOP in the right direction. And I highly encourage you to join us as we move towards the future. And that's a wrap for today, Monday, July 27th. I hope you have a great day today. And we'll see you next week on our first podcast episode that follows our outline of debating policy and issues of the day rather than just an introduction. But thanks for listening. Have a good one. Thank you.